0: Oh, Stomping Jen. You're like fumbling with buttons over there. The apes, the apes are calling. Now, now, It's time for us to talk, (laughs) not only to each other, but to (laughs) a really amazing guest that I am looking forward to talking to immensely. That guest is Monica Borgatti, who is a artist, who is a professional, a community leader, and just an all-around cool person who has a lot of really interesting and cool things to talk to us about. So,
1: awesome.
0: yeah, I am really looking forward to this conversation. Are you ready, I'm Stomping I'm Jen? I'm ready. Are you sure? I am. All right, let's go. <laughs> Soft Serve Podcast. Creamy, delicious ideas without the creepy truck. Oh, Stomping Jen. I love that bass when that drops.
1: I have to say, I do like this music a lot more. Yeah. Than the old music.
0: It's so chimey and cheerful. Mm -hmm. Oh, gosh, I do love it. (laughs) Well... Without further ado, let us please, Stomping Jen, stop talking about this music and say hello to Monica Borgatti. Hello, Monica. Hi,
2: Sawtooth. Hi, Stomping Jen. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us. Now, I introduced you with a very broad, um, generalized brush. Um, So I want to just give you an opportunity just to tell us um, a little bit more about um, who you are, who's Monica?
2: I'm Monica Borgatti. I use she, her pronouns. I grew up in Western Massachusetts. I've been here most of my life, traveled a little bit. Um, I think you described me well broadly to that list. I guess I'd add, um, given some of the things we're going to talk about today, I'll also add that I'm a bereaved mother. Um, yeah, community leader, professional artists of all sorts of crafty things. Um, what else do you want to know? I like to bake and cook and can things and ride my motorcycle.
0: Yeah. And, awesome. I, and I definitely have questions um, for you about some of those things. Um, I'm really interested. Where in Western Massachusetts did you grow up?
2: I grew up in Agawam, Massachusetts, and I'm very close to there now in West Springfield.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, um. what is that? That's near Six Flags, right? It, six Stomping Flags Jen. is in
2: Agawam. Yeah, it, it used to be Riverside Park.
0: Yes. I don't know
1: how you know when people are from there? Because they still will call it Riverside. Yeah.
0: Yes, I remember we used to call it Riverside.
1: Riverside? Yes. I saw a concert at Riverside.
0: Yes. Um, <laughs> did you?
1: I saw Poe. Oh. At Riverside.
0: Who's Poe?
1: Hello, hello. Oh. All right. Hey, Johnny.
0: <laughs> uh, Stomping right. Jen, you're dating yourself. Was I
1: it am. Angry, angry Johnny? Johnny. That's right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, all right. Anyways, thank you for being here. Um, we really appreciate it. Um, and um, one of the things I really wanted to have you on and talk to you about is your involvement in nonprofit organizations. Um, you know, from my perspective, you're a um, a real powerhouse in in that area, and you have a lot of um, high level involvement in some. Um, very important nonprofit organizations. Um, And one of them, um, you mentioned as you were introducing yourself to us, um, you mentioned that you were a bereaved mother. One of those organizations is called Empty Arms Bereavement. Um, You're involved with that. And I was wondering if you could tell us about that organization and your involvement in it.
2: Absolutely. Um, Empty Arms Bereavement Support is based in Florence, Massachusetts. And um, the organization offers support groups for um, parents who have lost. Um, They've either experienced pregnancy loss or infant loss. And then they also have a core group of volunteers that go into the hospitals up and down the Pioneer Valley to offer peer support to families, um, bedside peer support to families who are just experiencing loss. So um, I'm their board president right now, and I'm also a peer companion. So I spend a lot of time um, bedside with families experiencing some pretty um, traumatic events.
0: Yeah. How long has empty arms bereavement been around?
2: Ah, I feel like I should know the answer to that question right off the bat, but I'm going to say roughly 12-ish years. Um, The founder and executive director of the organization lost her daughter, I think 12-ish years ago. And um, she, she founded the organization a while after that, I think because she felt so alone in her experience and recognized that there was a need for moms and dads who just experienced this to have somebody to talk to so it started out pretty casually with her visiting somebody um, in a hospital and it kind of grew from there um,
0: can you talk to us a little bit about your pathway to becoming involved and becoming the board president
2: Absolutely. Um, I won't talk about the hospital that I was at, but I will say that I had a pretty shitty experience. Um, it was, um, it was pretty, um, wasn't your typical, wasn't your typical experience. I actually was in the hospital for, um, I had a bowel obstruction. And so I was in the hospital for that. And I was there for about three weeks and I was, um, four and a half week, uh, four and a half months, almost five months pregnant at the time. And, They held off doing surgery for a long time um, because I was pregnant. They ultimately did surgery, and um, I went septic after the surgery. And when I woke up from anesthesia, I was like, is Josie okay? And um, she was fine. I was still pregnant. Everything was good. But after um, being septic for a few days, I went into labor early. So Josie arrived premature. I was about 23 and a half weeks pregnant, I think, when she was born um, she was born living and was in the NICU for about 18 hours. And, um, when they realized they couldn't do anything else, like her lungs were just too tiny, her itty bitty lungs. Mm -hmm. Um, they called me up in my surgical recovery room. I wasn't even, um, in the, um, labor and delivery. I was in a regular surgical room and they called me and said they, that they did everything that they could. And they, um, they wanted me to see my daughter before she passed away. So the part I didn't tell you early on is that there was a complication. I was in the emergency room at the same time as a patient who was confirmed with the measles. And my childhood immunity had worn off. And so I was actually in isolation in the hospital. I couldn't leave my room to see her in the NICU. And they had to bring her to me um, in this room, far away from labor and delivery. Anyway, they get her to me, and I spend some time with her as she's passing, and it's um, pretty devastating to say hello and goodbye to your child like in the same moments. Um, but all of that to say, no one knew what to do with me because I wasn't I wasn't in labor and delivery. I wasn't with the other moms. None of the none of the hospital staff or the nurses there knew what to say to me or like how to deal with me. And Empty Arms wasn't working in the hospital that I was at yet. And so I didn't have a peer companion who who could come to me and say, wow, this is really shitty. Um, You're not alone. And so it wasn't until after I was out of the hospital for a few weeks and sought out some community resources myself that I discovered that Empty Arms was a thing. And I went to them at first for um, their support group for parents who've experienced loss. Um, and as soon as I learned that they had a peer companion program, I knew I had to be a part of it, um, because it's really, uh, isolating. It's really isolating when your baby dies and it's like nothing, nothing that anyone has ever experienced. And, um, yeah. you feel really lonely. You feel so yeah. lonely, like no one can understand, but if someone walks into your room and they're like, yep. This is really shitty. My baby died too. I'm sorry that you know this pain. It I mean it doesn't fix anything, but you feel a little bit less alone to see someone who can come in and talk to you about something like that without falling apart. Mm. Yeah. Was I mean, that too long? No, <laughs> no, not
0: at all. And yeah. um I mean, first, you know, I'm Thank I'm you. so sorry you had to go through that. Um, you know, that Thanks. I, I can't imagine mm. the, the pain. I can't
2: imagine it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um and thank you for sharing yeah. that with us. And you know, I think what what I what I hope is that there are other people out there who are listening to this who, you know, are who may have been in a similar situation, mm-hmm. you know, or and, and need support and will now have a resource for that, you know. Um,
2: did you know one in four one in four women will experience pregnancy or infant loss,
1: like that's a lot, yeah, that's a huge number yeah i i mean i we i we had a miscarriage when I was around six weeks between mm-hmm. our two children that are living, yeah, and I discovered during that period of time that a lot of people don't talk about it that a lot of people miscarry and they don't talk about it, yeah, it's true, yeah. Yeah, and
2: it 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 carries a lot of pain. There's a, a grieving process with miscarriage too, and mm-hmm. um, particularly if it, if you've experienced miscarriage after experiencing infertility, and that sort of I don't I can't say doubles it or magnifies it because you can't really compare grief from one person to another, but um, it definitely magnifies it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um. So in addition to Um, providing like a peer companion or somebody to provide direct support. Um, What other kind of support does empty arms bereavement, um, what, what, what can it do to help um, uh, parents or mothers who are experiencing this type of loss?
2: It's mostly um, peer support that we offer. We're not, um, we're not, trained social workers. Um, we're just other parents, not just. We are other parents who have also experienced this really dumpy situation. And so it's it's really all about providing support um, and, and pointing to other resources um, that are out there in the community. So there are a handful of different um, support groups that are offered. Um, there is a a support group for grieving parents. Um, there is a support group for miscarriage and early pregnancy loss. There's also, um, this, is, this is pretty great, I think, um, that there's a group for this, but we have a group for um, parents who have chosen termination for medical reasons. And then there's a subsequent choices group, so um, parents who've experienced loss and are trying to navigate um, getting pregnant again, and and kind of what that means. I believe that there's also a group in the works right now for um, parents who are experiencing infertility and have also experienced loss. Um, Yeah, Mm -hmm. so lots of support groups for different types of situations. Um, There, you know, I understand that the groups are still going very strong right now, even though they can't meet in person. Um, It's taken off really well with Zoom. Um, So monthly support groups for each of those things that I mentioned. I'm not positive if it ended up up and running, but just before the pandemic hit, um, we were starting a, a support group in the Springfield area that was, um, bilingual. So, um, we're trying to run that group every other month in Spanish so that we're reaching, um, the population locally that speaks Spanish. So I'm not positive, but I could look into it for you if you want to, mm. if you want that information, but there, that might be happening still.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned that empty arms wasn't in the hospital that you were in. Um, I'm just curious if you can offer any insight into yep. um, why, I mean, why a hospital wouldn't seek out a support entity like like Empty Arms and and have them tightly integrated into um, their maternal care activities, um, especially given you know what you said that one in four pregnancies are lost. Like it, it seems like this is the type of support. Every hospital should have ready and on standby.
2: So like I described, you know what? I hate when I start sentences with the word So that's a whole other conversation, but I'm trying really, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying really hard not to do that. Um, I described before that I wasn't in labor and delivery. I was outside of where the pregnant moms um and those who just delivered usually are so my situation was a little bit different mm-hmm. this hospital um has for a number of years had um like a bereavement committee so there are some nurses who um i don't know that they specifically have special training but they they focus on coming up with plans and ideas for um working with the uh, parents who've experienced loss so um, that does happen normally to some degree in that hospital, and and at the time it wasn't that they didn't um, want a partnership with Empty Arms. It was actually that Empty Arms didn't have enough peer companion volunteers yet. It was still a newer program, um, mm-hmm. almost seven years ago when I lost Josie. So um, the group was was doing peer companion work, but in other in other hospitals in the Pioneer Valley. So. They didn't want to get to this very large hospital until they felt like they had enough peer companions to actually respond to all of the calls when they came in. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to have to turn anyone down and say, oh, sorry, we, we just don't have a volunteer who can go see you.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Right.
0: And Empty Arms also um, provides um, support to professionals who help care for bereaved parents. Could you tell us a little bit about that?
2: You're right. They do. And this is something that um, they're trying to do a little bit more regularly, too. There are periodic um, trainings that happen in um, like in-service trainings, I think, for some of the nurses and hospital staff. Um, And that's something that uh, the executive director will offer periodically. Um, That's probably as much as I can tell you. Yeah. She speaks at some conferences as well. Um, I don't know. It's pretty interesting. She's working with a group in the, she being um, Carol McMurrick, the executive director, she's working with a group in the Berkshires who are interested in um, getting something like this going where they are. And I think she gets calls from folks in other areas of the state and um, you know, region as well to try to understand how this could grow in their areas.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's going to go ahead
1: too. like, is that um, is this organization modeled on other organizations across the country or is this a unique uh, organization or? There are definitely others that do it. And I think um,
2: I think we're based on um, an organization called Share. And I'd have to look it up to find more details on it. Uh, I'm definitely not well-versed in what Share does, but I think that Share also offers some peer companion work. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I think this—I think this professional support is a really great thing and um, an important resource for organizations that are involved in in the care of um, women and families who, you know, may have lost an infant or are dealing with, you know, a miscarriage. Um you know I just I again I just want to like go back to this idea that it's not something we talk about yeah. right that people um maybe and to be able to competently talk about anything right you need to have an understanding and you need to be trained and I I think I think it's a great thing that Empty Arms bereavement um is is doing in terms of providing support for professionals um mm-hmm. Um, Now, Empty Arms also um, provides resources for for friends and family of um, bereaved um, parents. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: What I can tell you is I know that... we have, um, we have had family and friends come to some of the support group meetings, um, and it's helpful for them to hear stories also about other families who have experienced loss, because then they can better understand what their family member is going through. Yeah. And that's probably as much as I could say about
0: that. Yeah, and um, in, in preparing for our conversation, I was on the Empty Arms Bereavement website, and I was looking, and there's... There are some really helpful resources up there. For example, um, there are um, there are pages and information on what to say to a bereaved parent. Right, some guidance. So if you, you know, if you're somebody in your own family or mm-hmm. a friend, your you circle. know, yeah. right, has has suffered a loss, provide some guidance to help you to be able to know what to say to that person. And I think that's really valuable because I think a lot of times um, we don't know what to say. We're not, cause we don't talk about this. Right. 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 Um, yeah. We
1: don't
2: talk about it. And in part, uh, I think that sometimes bereaved parents don't talk about it because they're really tired of hearing those shitty things. Like you can try again, or mm-hmm. at least you know you can get pregnant. <laughs> mm. Wow, that's wicked helpful.
0: Yeah. God,
2: God just needed another angel. Okay, well, why mine and not yours?
0: <laughs> like, right. How do
2: these things make sense, people?
0: Yeah, and um, like you just said, like really importantly, gives um, some advice on, you know, think maybe things you shouldn't be saying. Um, and I think also... Um, in terms of trying to provide support, people often want to be able to do something, right? And um, the Empty Arms Bereavement website also provides some guidance on things you can do.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think um, the most important, just being there, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, so, um, you know, like we said, one in four you know, women will experience this. So, what I what I would say, or sorry, no, one in four pregnancies will end um, in an unplanned way. I think um, so. Check out Empty Arms Bereavement website, right? And for some additional information um, on this, I think that's a good place for people to go and um, learn more about this. Yeah. Anything else, stomping, Jen? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I like I want to acknowledge this is not an easy thing mm-hmm. to talk about. A as a as a as a guy sitting here, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and B as somebody who doesn't have a lot of training in how to talk about this. Mm-hmm. You know, I think like any maybe any awkwardness I'm showing or feeling is is probably um, because. I don't have the skill set right? Right to, to, to have these important conversations.
2: Mm-hmm. But it's not difficult, Sawtooth. Really, there's nothing special that you have to say. All you have just just acknowledge, yeah, that's shitty. Wow, that's really unfair. And you said it before, I'm sorry that you've experienced this. There's yeah. nothing wrong with any of those things. There's also nothing wrong with saying, I have no idea what to say. I would rather somebody say that to me than be like, well, you can try again. There's it's so just be human. Wow. That sucks. I don't know what to say. That's really rotten. Yeah. Yeah. Like, do you want to hug? I mean, don't hug me now. It's COVID time, but. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Monica, can you tell us a little bit about um, what happens when you go on a visit with a bereaved parent? What's that experience like?
2: Absolutely. Um, We typically try to go in pairs, two companions. Um, In part, it's so that um, if one of us gets a little, like, verklempt, the other (laughs) one can try to talk um, to the family. But typically, we'll go into the room and introduce ourselves and let them know that we are peer companions from Empty Arms and that we've also experienced loss um, and that we have a lot of conversations with, with other people who have experienced loss, too. Um, will ask them if there's anything that they need. Um, we'll ask them if they want to talk a little bit about what happened with them. Um, if their baby is in the room with them, which is always like, this is going to sound so weird. I sound like a really weird person right now, but I absolutely love when the babies are in the hospital room with them still. Um, one of the most important things that I think a lot of parents who are experiencing loss don't know is that, you can keep your baby in the room with you for as long as you want, like spend as much time with that baby as you can or feel comfortable doing. I don't know of anyone who has ever um, said that they wish they hadn't spent as much time with their baby. Everybody always says they wish they'd spent more. So um, when the baby is there, we'll um, we'll do really sweet little hand and foot castings um, so that the families have a memento to take home with them. If we can arrange it, we'll bring in um, a photographer to take some pictures to, um, I guess, memorialize it. When you don't bring home your baby, you don't bring home a lot of memories. So part of it is is memory making for the families. Um, but it really, will do whatever it is that that family needs for help at that moment. It's been... Um, it's been helping families reach out to um, funeral homes to make arrangements. Um, we also have a, a fund for folks who need help with burial um, or cremation. If they need financial help, we can, we can help with that. Um, we have helped folks when they need assistance, getting paperwork either completed or um, picked up in some cases, whether it's a birth or a death certificate. Um, what else do we do? We talk to them about the weird things like what happens to your body when you lose a baby? You're still going to lactate because your body doesn't know that your baby died, but this thing is still going to happen. So particularly if it's a new mom who hasn't had a baby before, she may not realize that this is going to happen. Yeah. And then Um, we offer them um, other information about where they can find other resources too. Right. I think I just I think I just heard Jen say, wow, just thinking about that lactation piece. is Yeah. Crazy,
1: yeah. Crazy. I mean, your body healing after having a baby is pretty intense and it doesn't it takes a while.
2: Yeah. And yeah. your body doesn't know that the baby didn't live. So it's still doing those same things like nobody told me mm-hmm. that I was going to be lactating. <laughs> like I, I, I didn't have a baby before. I didn't know. And nobody told me. <laughs> Yeah, I'm laughing about it now, but that's just because I have this twisted sense of humor now, but yeah, it's,
1: it's crazy. I just think too, like, you know, like you, you speak so openly and it's so brave. I feel, and I don't know if you feel that way, but, you know, especially knowing that people don't talk about it,
0: you know, being um,
1: able to like offer that to another, you know, grieving family, you know, I don't know.
2: Yeah. I'm almost seven years out uh, from Josie's birth and death. Um, and yeah, seven years out is is a pretty long time and you're able to to learn and grow. And um, I'm pretty sure, like people say all the time, you're so brave for doing this. And And I talk about it because you never know when someone's going to need to hear it. Um, and this is pretty cool because a whole bunch of people are hearing it right now. But I, I do, I, I talk about it because you just don't know who's going to hear it and who's going to need to hear it or who's going to share it with someone else who needs to hear it. So I'll talk about Josie all day long. Um, Anytime anyone asks about her, I'll talk about her. And sometimes I'll get a little teary, but um, seven years out, I'm doing okay with it for the most part, you know, around her birthday gets a little bit tough, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'm getting there, but I want, I, people should talk about it more and, um, people should feel comfortable talking about it. And people tell me that I'm so brave, uh, and strong in doing this, but it's not really me. I think it's her. Um, I feel like this work that I do, it's not really me. It's, it's her. She's doing this work. She's driving all of this. It's because of her that I get to help other people who are experiencing this kind of pain in these shitty situations and
0: um
2: it's because of her that i can help someone else feel less alone and help them realize that they're they're going to be okay like there are i can't say there are no darker days than that but yeah yeah that's all i've got i
1: guess yeah
0: (laughs) yeah well, thank you. Um, thank you. You know, Thank you for talking about this with us. And thank you for the work you're doing. Yeah. You know, I just, I am, I am so in awe of people who can do work like this, that helps other people um, in, in potentially such profound ways. So thank you.
2: You're welcome.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're if you're ready, we can talk about um, your other non other nonprofit. Um, but
2: can we say happy birthday to Josie first?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, happy
2: birthday.
0: Happy birthday, Josie! And this this episode will be coming out on her birthday. Yay! So, happy birthday! Um,
2: happy birthday! Happy birthday! And you. that is
0: April fourteenth. Thank you. Yeah.
2: So. yeah I'd be happy to talk about my other nonprofit work, <laughs>
0: okay, great. Um, so um you also work with the women's fund. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is?
2: I do. yeah, and actually, this is um it's a good transition. People um often ask about why I do the work that I do with the women's fund or why I work for a women's fund, And my answer is always that, I want to make the world a better place for all of our daughters. Um, So good transition there. Um, I am the chief operating officer for the women's fund of Western Massachusetts. I started with the women's fund as um, a volunteer, like, I don't know, 10 ish years ago. And I did all sorts of, um, all sorts of things like stuffing envelopes and serving on golf tournament committees and, Um, I was on their grant review committee for a while and um, I did a number of other nonprofit jobs. And then four years ago, I was hired as um, the Women's Fund Director of Philanthropy. So I did fundraising for them for a couple of years. And the last few years, my work has really focused on um, administration and finance and overseeing program stuff and um, HR and all things except fundraising, if I can help it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and um, the Women's Fund, what, what does it do as an organization? what What is it hoping to accomplish?
2: What are we hoping to accomplish? Um, really, I guess gender equity, we, we, we really want to make the world a better place for women and girls in Western Massachusetts and hopefully beyond. So our work really focuses on um, creating access and opportunities for women. Sometimes that's through programs that we're putting on ourselves around um, leadership for women and girls. And sometimes that's by making grants to other organizations in the community that work with women and girls.
0: Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about the leadership development part of that because I think leadership development is really important.
1: Oh yeah, Do stomping
0: you? Jen. Do you? Um, yes. Um, some some <laughs> That's people. How
1: we know each other. I know. Yes, I was
0: going to say. Um, <laughs> here comes the big reveal. Um, uh, Monica and I went through a Western Massachusetts-based leadership um, program called um, Leadership Pioneer Valley. We we were in the same class together. That's right. Um, we were. Didn't you have a connection as well? Uh, I was were a coach. Coaching? I was
1: a coach in your class, but I went through the okay. program the year prior.
0: Right, that's right. right. Okay, so you I were a coach.
1: Thought you, thought you, <laughs> yes. did
2: you did you coach any teams?
0: I did. Um, I was a coach the year oh, wait, were we after. We the same year? I think we were. I think. You, I think. <laughs> so, I think they brought you in to help potentially repair some bad coaching that had gone on if I'm remembering correctly
2: I coached two years and I think the first year um I was not repairing the second year I was
0: okay yeah yeah so um and which speaks to your your um qualities as a as a leader I think yes that you're the person they brought in to repair the bad coaching
1: <laughs> it wasn't um, your bad coaching was it no I hope no. not <laughs>
0: no um, um, But, um, so leadership development. Um, so I think it's important, right? Um, just based on my own experience there, I learned a lot about leadership going through a program and I wanted just to ask a little bit about kind of the, um, the leadership development that the women's fund focuses on. Um, can you talk any more about that? And if there are. Um, specific um,
1: like differences between a generic one. Is that what you're trying to say?
0: Yeah, or I guess ask? so. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
2: uh, differences between like a co-ed leadership program versus one that's built for women. Yes. Yeah. You know, I think that the, I think that the biggest difference honestly is sort of the, the sisterhood that comes out of it. And I know women who have gone through both, um, Leadership Pioneer Valley and the Leadership Institute for Political and Public Impact that the Women's Fund used to run. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I've heard from participants who've done both is um, that the like one of the biggest differences for them was really the the sisterhood, the yeah, just the sisterhood mm-hmm. of the cohort model and what it was like learning and growing in a room full of just women. And I wonder if this, like, does that happen in a room full of just
0: men? Do they feel
2: the same sort of brotherhood, I wonder? Or, I, I mean, I just don't know. Do you? It's,
0: it's an interesting question. Um, so, I think I've probably talked about this before in our, you know, more than 100 episodes now. Yeah. I don't really like men or the brotherhood of man. Um <laughs> Like Sorry. I, <laughs> I've never, um, uh. I've never felt particularly comfortable in that situation. Um, and I was in the army. I know. Right? I was like, just
1: gonna say you were in the army. Talk about
0: a sausage fest, right? But like, <laughs> I just like have never felt like drawn in by that. Brotherly, camaraderie, whatever the Are fuck you talking that is. Are about
1: that really like, machismo-like energy? Is that what you're...
0: Just the, like, we're all bros, like <laughs> I want to be with the guys. Like, I've never, ever felt a desire for that in my life. Mm-hmm. And it's nothing I connect to, and I want to run away from it, actually, when mm-hmm. I'm in those scenarios. Yeah. Um, so... I'm not trying to be cute, like that is literally how I feel, so I can't answer the question yeah. like um, so it
2: either doesn't happen or I've asked the wrong person,
0: probably the latter, <laughs> I think <laughs> <Okay>.
2: <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to turn this interview around <laughs> no, it's
0: okay, it's totally okay yeah. um but well, what I, what yeah what but what I can what I'll just say real quickly, what I can yeah. observe um is that I can totally understand how what i've observed in those all male environments would not be particularly um like a welcoming environment for women
1: i went through an mba program that was sort of like a bro fest <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> even
1: though there were women <laughs> i don't know
0: yeah um
1: i get what you're saying though monica like <laughs> i i feel like that's the piece
2: though um for an all women's program that it's that network Mm -hmm. and, and being able to, to have a stronger network with some good connections in the community and the support that comes out of it, not just friendships, but, um, like professional support. There are women who decided to run for office after going through that program and, and they turned to their sisters from the program to, um, to help them with their campaigns or to give them advice on campaigns for others who have done it before. Um, But I I referenced, I feel like I should back up a little bit. I referenced the Leadership Institute for Political and Public Impact. And I should say that um, we've put a pin in that program for now. Um, The Women's Fund ran the program for 10-ish years and um, uh, probably, I don't know, 350 women or so went through that program and graduated from it and um sort of a leadership program with a civics twist is probably the the best way to put it but what we realized was that we were trying to be all things to all women and um, as the program progressed in years um we noticed or we we learned that some women were going through the program because they really wanted that personal and professional development piece. And other women were going through the program because they really wanted to learn how to run for office. They wanted to be on their city council or their school committee, or they wanted to be mayor, or they wanted to mm-hmm. run for Congress. Um, and so... We realized that the program as it was, it just it wasn't meeting the needs of all of the participants going through it. It was a little bit of this and a little bit of that uh-huh. and not enough. It didn't dig deep enough for some people in, in either direction. So we put a pin in it for now. And um, we're in the beginning stages of exploring the possibility of a statewide Women's Policy Institute and I can't say too much about it yet because we're just looking into it but um, the California Women's Fund and the Rhode Island Women's Fund have each done this. Um, Rhode Island's pretty easy statewide because they're like yay big right Mm -hmm. Um, and you know Massachusetts is is a bit bigger than that so it, it would be a bigger ordeal for us but as we're learning right now that so much can be done just as easily virtually like yeah. yeah, that uh, that meeting could have been an email. Right. But so we're seeing that it's all possible to do this stuff very well, virtually that you can still make connections with people that you can still have sort of a cohort model and, and connect with people even when it's um, looking at each other over cameras. Um, but our CEO at the women's Fund, um, she and I have been meeting for several months. Oh gosh. I guess our first meetings happened before, before the pandemic. It's so weird how time has worked, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's been over a year that we've been meeting with representatives from the other women's funds across the country. And this is one of the topics that has come up as a potential um, collaborative project for us. And so we're we're kind of um, We're checking out the landscape right now to understand what other types of nonpartisan policy programs are out there. Mm -hmm. Um, And we think it it might be a neat idea to bring women together from across the state or some kind of a policy institute.
1: I love that. I have so many thoughts now that we're talking about this subject because, um, you know, I'm an elected official. Uh There's not a lot of women who run, um, especially for the boards that, quote unquote, have more power dynamic uh, in them and i was literally just on a panel this afternoon with four with three other women talking about running for local elections and mm-hmm. i found myself like thinking over this last year as i'm in my second year of a 3 year term and I called a prior woman who no longer is serving on the select board because I was just like I reached a breaking point a couple months ago. <laughs> like, I, like I was like, how did you do this for so oh. long? You know, and I just started crying, like just talking no. to another woman, like because you know, like in 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 more like traditional roles where you know you're a woman you're running a household like you know as part of a family and you're you're really tackling hardcore volunteer opportunities and doing things outside of work it's like so much stress that gets put on you and you know you have to be in this power position if you're an elected official and it's just there's not a lot of support out there mm. um you know, I don't know if that's exactly the direction that your uh, organization is looking at, but, you know, just as you're talking, you know, this is like what's bubbling up for me, especially I feel like right I need
2: now. to connect you with the other women that I know Yeah. <laughs> who are uh, like in city council or town council positions so that yeah. you all can create a support group for each other. Yeah. I was thinking about you recently. Um, I was... I, I don't, I was reading the minutes of a, of one of my, like the last couple months of my town's um, town meet my city's town meetings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And so reading the minutes at this, which they were kind of boring, mm-hmm. sorry, West Springfield, <laughs> they were kind of boring, but then I'm looking at the list of our, our town council members and I'm like, dude, dude, dude. Yeah. I, like what, there are no women. Mm-hmm. And then I was certain that I had to run. And I I told my partner, like, I think I need to run for town council. And we talked about this for a couple of days. And then I was like, wait a minute, I probably should figure out who is the counselor in my district. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. That means I have to like knock on
1: doors and talk to people. (laughs) It's hard.
2: It is. Maybe I won't. Maybe, maybe I just need to find some other woman in my, in, in my, town who wants to do that and I'll
1: support her I don't want to talk to that many people yeah we can talk offline about all of this but yeah it's it's hard it's really it's it's a hard and you know one of the things like we talked about today on our panel is like there's no good time and you just have to do it like if you feel Mm -hmm. compelled to do it you just need to do it Right, you know, I don't think Sawtooth Frank was exactly thrilled when I decided to do it, but I was always involved in volunteer opportunities, so, as I told him, I said it's it's just a different volunteer opportunity,
0: yeah, i mean my my reticence for you was more about what I knew personally about being thrown into a leadership right. position I was unprepared for, right, um. It be you know, being a co-president of a union. Right. Right. Like and I just was worried personally. God, but our
1: poor children. Like
0: <laughs> I know. You know, <laughs> one of the things I was reflecting on about the importance of having women in leadership roles, right? And I, I was thinking about what I said a few minutes ago about, mm-hmm. you know, not really liking the brotherhood of men, not like feeling that close to whatever that Um, energy or whatever that is, is, is because, um, and I've definitely talked about this before is in all of my formative kind of experiences with leadership, if if all been with strong, competent women leaders, like my very first job, my boss um, was a, was a woman at McDonald's Mm -hmm. and I was with her for four years and she, you know, shepherded me through the the chaos of my first job as an adolescent. When I ended up in the army, all of the people who were in charge of me in my professional positions in the army were women. Mm-hmm. My first professional job in my career, a strong, competent woman. right? Like like I've always had strong women to look up to and help guide me professionally. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, like, I'm just wondering if that's the reason why I'd never have sought out, you know, whatever, whatever it is men think they have to offer in terms of leadership.
2: Maybe. I don't know. Just interesting hypothesis.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I'm just, I think maybe I just got really lucky.
1: Yeah.
0: You know? Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Stomping Jen?
1: I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I could say more, but I won't. (laughs) What do you mean? Say
0: more. Say more, please. Say more. No,
1: I'm just saying.
0: Oh, okay. I'm Um, just saying. All right. um, So, um, can people get involved in supporting the Women's Fund? Um, It's a nonprofit, so I'm assuming people listening to this might be saying... um, you know, I, I want to help. I want to get involved. How can they do that?
2: You're right. It is a nonprofit. Um, it, there are sometimes volunteer opportunities available, but we're, we're a pretty small crew, um, w- working on some, some big projects. I think, um, I can talk to you a little bit about some of those too, but I like how do people get involved? Um, We often have workshops that people can attend if they're interested in um, learning more, like about every other month or so, we have this Wait What series that talks about um, interesting things that are happening in the community. I think the last one was around the eviction moratorium that is really troubling for a lot of um, people and families in our community right now. Um, Next month, there will be a series on maternal health specifically um the disparities in in maternal health outcomes for black women um, which i think is really important for us to be talking about um other ways to get involved you know honestly can i be frank sawtooth
0: absolutely (laughs) and i I appreciate i appreciate the uh the joke there i'm going to give you one of these sorry (laughs) Yeah, you've earned that.
2: Um, thank you. Thank you. Yes. The very best way to get involved, honestly, donate money to the Women's Fund of Western Massachusetts because we're supporting the women and girls in your cities and towns. We are um, helping create access and opportunity for strong women leaders like sawtooth just described to you um that it's really the best way to to get involved with the women's fund is that wrong to say not no. at all it not at all to of course
1: not. and we're
0: gonna put the we're gonna put the links in the yeah. show notes um and when we post this on social media we'll That's be right. we'll be including the links i don't think
1: you can ever run away from fundraising if you're working yeah, in no, a nonprofit no. yeah no, especially when there're
2: uh, a grand total of um six of us yeah exactly <laughs> i want to make sure that i tell you about this um virtual economic mobility hub project that we're working on so yeah. ask me about that
0: yep um tell us about so, that. so tell us all about that <laughs>
2: yeah i will thanks for asking <laughs> uh, <laughs> i'm sure that you have heard the term she session right it's sort of like mm-hmm. um with with the pandemic right now, yes, we're talking a lot about recession. But um, more women have been pushed out of the workforce than men, for sure. And for some of the reasons that Jen mentioned, we have all of these responsibilities that we're carrying in our daily lives, including um, most most not all most um, family and child care falls on the women, right? Um, Particularly in the Greater Springfield area, like most of the households are um, women head of households. So, with so much remote learning going on, women are forced to choose. Like Mm -hmm. they need to stay home. They're forced to choose to stay home rather than go to work because they need to be with their children during remote learning. And so, women are just dropping out of the workforce like mad. And so, this is it's a a pretty big problem. across the country for sure, but we're seeing it a lot in the the greater Springfield area and across Western Massachusetts. But um, one of the things that we're working on with the Women's Fund right now is this um, virtual economic mobility hub. And we're trying to understand what the determinants are that are keeping women, hopefully not out of, um, but keeping them in or out of the workforce? Like what are the things that, not just in the workforce, but um, economically stable, what are those determinants? And so we're talking about things like um, not just paid work, but also, digital inclusion, right? That's a huge thing right now for folks who are in places where the internet access is just horrible, or maybe they don't have um, the devices that they need for themselves and their family to be learning. Um, but other um, other determinants like food and nutrition and health and mental health and safety from gender-based violence and um, access to professional development, like we talked about. So we've identified um, with a, a small corp core group of um, volunteers from other organizations in the area, we've identified a number of determinants that will help uh, a woman's economic mobility or stability. And then we've identified um, a whole bunch of organizations in the greater Springfield area that are working in each of these areas. And our, our goal is to bring together these um, representatives from these organizations to talk about the determinants so that we can understand at the Women's Fund are we thinking about all of the right ideas and do we have all of the right people in the room? And once we, we know that we've got all of the right determinants, then we want to start talking to women in our community and hearing from them, what the barriers are that they're experiencing, like what, where are they struggling in getting to resources or information? Like really talking to the women who are experiencing the the housing issues and the food insecurity and um, the lack of jobs or job training. So hearing from these women where the barriers are and then figuring out what to do about it. But after we hear from the women, like you can't fix the problem unless you're asking the people who are experiencing, right? So we're hoping to get a whole bunch of nonprofits um, and other service agencies in the area to to start talking about this, to figure out together how we can make our community um, better for the women and girls here. And, and I guess in turn, the families and the men too. <laughs> when you,
0: when you go out to talk to women about um, try to understand what these needs are, do, are, are they surprised ever that there's a group and mm-hmm. an organization like yours that, is out there and exists like with its one of its sole purposes to, to help them in advance. Um, Advance the causes of of women?
2: We don't go out and do the interviewing ourselves. We work with other organizations in the community. So, the the Women's Fund isn't a direct service provider. We typically don't work with um, clients or individuals directly. We're usually supporting other organizations in the community that are because we can't be experts in all of the things. Um, So, we try to work with the organizations who are the experts. um, And then typically, um, through some grant funding that we'll be able to give them, um, they will have folks from their teams go out into the community to talk with people directly.
1: Mm. I love that model. It's great, right? Collaborative. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: And and really, um, we're we're thinking also about kind of having women who are experiencing some of these difficulties be a part of the conversations. It's sort of that peer model, right? You, you typically will respond to and, and open up better to people who have experienced the same lived experiences as you.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, full circle. We're just bringing it back to this peer companion thing.
0: That's, mm-hmm. right. That's right. And I learned a new term. She session.
1: You didn't hear that. I've
0: never heard that. Mm.
1: That's a big deal.
0: But what I will tell you is in my union work, I can 100% testify to the disproportionate effect on working women.
1: Yeah. But there was like a study, like the amount, the unemployment dropped by the number. It was like... What was the number? I remember there was some statistic recently that came out, and it was like the number of jobs lost were all like women held jobs, or something. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. I don't know what the number is, but it's disproportionate for sure. Yeah, yeah. and just talking to like my friends, you know, there, it's like the strain and the stress and the.
2: Even even the women who are able to stay home and work remotely, mm-hmm. man, that shit's hard too. Yeah. Just not all jobs will offer the flexibility right. to to parent and work at the same time. Yeah, that's true. Um, and it, I I can understand it somewhat, but I, I don't know. It's hard.
1: Yeah. It's really hard. Yeah.
2: And that's that's coming from a place of privilege to be able to mm-hmm. stay home and work remotely and also parent. That's not something that most
1: people have, really. A thousand percent. Yeah. It's true. Crazy. It yeah. is. It's very true.
0: Um what does it mean to be a feminist in twenty twenty one? Because I I think you, I I do think you identify as somebody who's a a feminist. So I'm curious what that means to us now in 2021.
2: It's interesting. Um, When I was growing up, I never, ever would have called myself a feminist. Like that was a, somehow it felt like a dirty word. Like you just didn't want to, ew, no, you don't (laughs) want to be associated with that. And then as I grew up and started to understand what it was about, I definitely started to identify with just really, I mean, this sounds silly, but to me, it's like caring about women and girls and our future and, and our present and just (sighs) wanting to make things as best as, as, as best as possible for other women in the world, like equity, equality, whatever. But, but I guess, I'm struggling a little bit right now because I'm thinking about the word feminism and the word feminist and thinking that um, it's that's probably not the best word anymore either. There are a lot of women who now aren't cool with that because of what white women have done to feminism. Um, and now I'm afraid you're going to ask me to talk more about that. And I always struggle when, when the conversations sort of turn to, race and racism and, and white supremacy. And I do a lot of personal reading around, um, anti-racist works. Um, so I'm still learning and growing, but, yeah. um,
1: yeah.
2: I, yeah, feminism is hard because it's hard to be truly intersectional about it all. Um, or, or maybe it's easy and I just haven't learned it yet, but I'm still working on it. So what does it mean to me? Uh, you know, I I don't mean to be cliche, but I've seen like you're you're only as strong as the woman next to you. It's really about making sure that all of our voices are heard, Um, Mm -hmm. and sometimes that means stepping back so that others can step forward, and and you maybe need to give them a boost in doing that. Um, Yeah, Yeah. I don't know. I hope it doesn't sound too hokey.
0: Didn't sound (laughs) hokey to me. Yeah. Kind of thinking at that twenty thousand foot level about this nonprofit work that you do. I mean what, what ultimate what, what draws you to it? It's service work, right? I mean it's, yeah, it's helping it's, other people.
2: It is. It's helping other people. It's making and and not even Helping other people—it's making the world a, a better place. God, I do sound so hokey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. I guess I—I I have a voice, and I'm—I'm I'm usually not afraid to speak up. And not everyone—not everyone has a voice or has a platform where they can use their voice. I guess. Um, my favorite part of the work that I'm doing right now is around grant making in the community. Um, but like, do you know the term participatory grant making either of you? I've heard it. I don't don't know know much about it. I don't know. it. It's really about, um, giving the power of grant making decisions to people who are the closest to the issue at hand. So the last, um, last year, and again, this year, the women's fund was, um, we received money from the fund for the me too movement and allies. And um, the goal of us getting that money um, was to get it out into the Western Massachusetts community. Um, and we sought out a group of women who were survivors of domestic or sexual um, sexual violence. And they read all of the grant applications and they, worked together to do some um, consensus decision making around which applications would get funded. So uh, that's just really cool to me that they they understand best what the needs of survivors are. So they're the experts in that topic. Um, more than some other people might be. So, really understanding the need and, and letting them make the decisions around where that grant money is going. Or, um, we fund through a community partner this Young Women's Initiative, and it's specifically for uh, girls and young women in Springfield with a focus on um, Black and Brown girls. And they also do some grant making. And it's really, really cool because we listen to them to hear what they're seeing as barriers in the community. And then they do some research around the organizations that are like working in those issue areas. And then they make the decisions about what organizations are going to get grant money to work on projects in their issue areas. So there's just something really neat about empowering other women to be active in their community and understand what's happening in their community and direct grant money to organizations that are working in in issue areas that are important to them so that's that's what's um drawing me to this work a lot right now is um helping other people to own their to own their leadership to be to be good community members community leaders like it's pretty amazing yeah
0: yeah and the, what's interesting to me is why like why we need this, right? Is I is just in my own I'm just reflecting on my own experience and what I've seen in other people is people often don't even know that they have the qualities of leadership in them, right? And and you know, I'm thinking and if you're operating in a in a system of oppression, right? Like that that is almost certainly the case right, like you may not even recognize. Hey, I belong at that table, yeah. right? And that's why I think it's so important yeah. that we have groups like the Women's Fund, right? Like hey, actively thanks. working against against those systems, um, like
1: giving them a platform and a voice.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, it's really cool to hear the young women in that program um, as they're expressing how moving it was for them or how empowering it was for them to be part of that grant making process. And, and to hear them say that they didn't, they didn't know that they, that their opinion mattered. So to to help them realize that their opinion does matter,
1: like it's huge.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Thank you for the work that you're doing with them.
0: Yeah. Transitioning a little bit here, um, hopefully this doesn't seem too abrupt. Now, I've learned from sources that you have begun to learn to ride a motorcycle in your 40s. What on earth compelled you to do this?
2: (laughs) It's a great question. I I used to drive a convertible um, and it was really, really impractical and super bad in the snow. And I once had to drive backwards down a giant hill because it was snow covered and I couldn't make it up and so I decided to trade in my convertible for a much more New England practical car and um, I was sad to lose my convertible and so my partner suggested to me that maybe I should um, take the motorcycle safety and licensing class and I thought "Mm, I don't know if I really want to like I don't know if I'm Coordinated enough to operate a motorcycle because you're doing different things with each hand and right. each foot. Gotta like,
0: shift and brake yeah. and you gotta be like an octopus. And, clutch
2: and yeah, for sure. Um so I was a little bit nervous about it, but I figured the like, like maybe I wouldn't get my license, but at the very least, I would understand better. What he's doing when he's riding his motorcycle and I'm on the back as passenger, which which always terrifies me, by the way. Don't <laughs> tell him I said that, but it always <laughs> Um, so I figured, okay, I'll take the class, whatever. Um, and I'll tell you, uh, when I got on the motorcycle for the first time at this class, I I was straddling the motorcycle and I'm holding onto the hand grips and I'm feeling the weight of the motorcycle. Um, and I I had a moment of panic where I thought, I could excuse myself right now. <laughs> I could climb off this motorcycle and say, I'm sorry, I've got to go. And there were nine other people in my class, I think. So I would have just walked by them all and been like, oops, sorry, I'm in the wrong place and just left. I totally could have done that. There was um, there was maybe half a minute where I was contemplating getting up and leaving, but I'm so glad that I didn't. Um, it turns out I can do different things with both hands and both feet all at the same,
0: <laughs> same time. <laughs> mm. How did you overcome that moment? I'm curious, where you almost fled.
2: Wait, did, I guess... Sometimes I'm a little bit stubborn too. And so I thought, uh, no, you're here. It's fine. Just do it. You you've done all sorts of things. You can do this. It's fine. I guess I just talked myself back into staying like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen. You're going to drop this motorcycle and they're all going to laugh at you. Mm. Um, I didn't drop the motorcycle and no one laughed at me. I did. I did cry that weekend. That was really tough. (laughs) Mm.
0: What did you, why, why did you cry?
2: Well, actually, to be totally honest, I think I cried because it was Mother's Day weekend. So I'm not sure why I thought it would be okay to even leave the house on Mother's Day weekend. But I Mm -hmm. think that was probably where like the biggest emotion was coming from um, was kind of in my head. But I'm trying to remember, I think the thing I was trying to do figure eights during the motorcycle class, they basically have you ride your motorcycle really slow in figure eights in basically what amounts to, I think, like, two parking, four, four parking spaces, maybe. And you've got to do a big figure eight in there and you're not supposed to put your feet down and you're not supposed to go outside of the lines. And I just couldn't get it. I had never operated a motorcycle before that class. And so it was very, it was very scary.
0: Can you ride a like a regular bicycle?
2: Yeah, but it's so different. It, okay, And I haven't ridden a regular bicycle in, um, in many years. So it's not even the the keeping the bike up once it's going, it's, it's up. Um, I guess it's more when, when you're slowing down, that's when it gets scary. Have either of you ridden? No, No, I've never even been on a motorcycle
1: ever in my life. No, me either. I,
2: I realized, um, we had a couple of pretty warm days recently and I was able to pull my motorcycle out of the garage and I went for a couple of rides and I realized that is my, um, that's my, like my wind therapy. What is the uh, self-care? That's my self-care to get on the motorcycle. It's almost like meditating because you're just paying attention to the road and what's around you, like a lot, what's around you because nobody else is paying attention. So you have to pay attention for them, but it's just you and the bike and what's around you. It's, it's just awesome. You don't, you're not thinking about other stuff. You're just riding and enjoying what's there. It's, it's really great.
1: Really great self-care.
0: Oh, that's cool. I feel like I would be terrified.
1: I would be terrified. But <laughs> listening to you describe it, that reminds me of yoga. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I can't lie. Um, every once in a while, I, I have moments where I'm like, oh, fuck, what am I di- This could turn out really bad. And then I'm like, well, if it's my time, it's my time. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe I'd get hit by a bus if I were crossing the street. Like maybe an yeah. airplane part would fall on my house. I don't know. YOLO.
0: So do you, did you come, I, are, yeah. oh. did you just say YOLO? <laughs> did you come, Boy. did you come out of, do you come out of the class? Like all, can you just go get a motorcycle and start riding it?
2: Yeah. So it's really interesting with it. Well, it was a weird situation for me because, um, I did this, um, around, this time last year or May last year. Um, So it was a little bit different because I didn't have my permit yet, but I thought that I was gonna have time to get my permit before the class started and then the world shut down. And so I didn't get my permit, Um, but I was able to take the class without my permit because of special COVID, Mm -hmm. I don't know, anyway, um, exceptions. So generally, there I go, starting with so again, generally when you take the class, you have your permit already. You finish the class. If you pass the test at the end, because they teach you how to do these things. And then the last thing that you do is take the the writing test. So if you pass the test, they submit your paperwork and basically your permit turns into a license overnight. Uh, but the world was all closed up. I took the, the class and the test in May last year, and I had to wait for the registry to open for permits again. When it finally opened for permits, it was probably the first week of June last year that I that I went and got my permit that transitioned into a license. But as I was standing in line, it was me... And a whole bunch of 16-year-olds so excited to get their driving permit. And I think I was I was definitely just as excited as them because I had a bike already. I, I bought a bike and it was sitting in my garage. It already had its plates on it. It was registered. And I was just waiting to get mm. my permit so that I could actually ride it. So generally, yes, once you finish the class, you can just start riding it. You can ride on a permit like well, year after year after year, I think, if you just keep um, renewing it.
0: What kind of motorcycle do you have?
2: Right now I have a Yamaha V-Star. It's a 650 and that's my second motorcycle. Last year um, I started on a Honda Rebel, a little 250 and it was perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, Just the right size for me. But I found very quickly that, um, I mean, you're not really, you shouldn't really try to keep up with other people when you're new riding, you should ride your own ride. And, um, but I found that I wasn't able to keep up with my partner in the way that I wanted to, or I felt like I was like holding him up. Um, and so I didn't, I didn't get a bigger motorcycle for that, for him. It was Mm -hmm. really for me because I felt like I would pull open the throttle and I just felt like I wanted more i wanted to be able to take off a little bit more quickly or i i wanted to be able to increase speed going up the hill and around the corner and i wasn't finding that and so i, I rode the rebel for most of the first season and um i just felt really comfortable on it i felt like i would learned a whole bunch of things and it felt good um and i wanted something that was a little bit bigger that could go a little bit faster um and kind of pick up speed a little bit quicker so In my first season, I did upgrade to a slightly bigger bike, um, and this one feels perfect for me.
0: Hmm. Is there anything you learned about motorcycle riding or the motorcycle riding culture that surprised you once you've kind of gotten into it? Like, as an outsider, you Mm -hmm. didn't know?
2: (laughs) Um, I'm laughing at myself because, like, this isn't about motorcycle culture um but apparently it took me 40 something years to know that when you pull on the throttle you pull towards you you know when you make that sort of like room noise and you sort of do the throttle thing with your hand i always thought that you were pushing it forward like i thought that was the room and you push the throttle no (laughs) you pull the throttle backwards
0: (laughs) now do you do the (laughs) do you do the wave when you go by somebody
2: (laughs) I do wave, um, and I just want to tell the audience right now that I just saw you like throw your hand up in the air with a little wave, yes. um, which was cute. Typically, <laughs> it was cute. sorry. Ty- typically, I, I give like a low wave kind of
0: is the like yeah
2: facing peace sign kind of wave, and yeah. I guess what's pretty neat is um, I find that almost everybody waves to everybody else. Um, And people ask me that question too. Like, does everybody wave to you? Or do you get mad when someone doesn't wave? Uh, And I definitely don't get mad when someone waves because I don't know what's in their head at that moment. Maybe they're shifting. Like that Mm -hmm. wave hand is also your clutch hand. So maybe they've just shifted or... Um, maybe they just got startled by something up the road, or like they're in their own head. They're riding their own ride. I can't get mad at them for not waving at me. Yeah. I'm not the center of the universe. <laughs> I, am, <Yeah>. but.
0: <laughs> I think I would totally be like, hi, like the oh, high wave so and not I the low that, wave. Yeah.
2: I do that when I see other chick riders. I'll usually like throw a fist up in the air and I'm like, yeah, lady rider. There aren't a lot of us. It's really exciting when you see others.
0: So, this is a great thing. This is a good thing to take up in your 40s. That's what I'm hearing. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I
2: mean, mm. you could take it up sooner if you want,
0: but I would Are say- Are you looking
2: at me? Go, yeah, do it. Um. I mean, I know a couple people who have bikes for sale. For, mm. You know, you want to talk about that.
0: I'm too scared I know. It.
2: <laughs> I know I'm like thinking about it and like
0: <laughs> I'm terrified of everything. I can't I'm, do this.
2: I'm super glad that my partner suggested it to me though. And I wrote on the back of his um for a couple of years and um uh, I, I I don't like it as much because I'm not in control.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: I like to know I, I don't know. I, I'm a bad passenger in a car too. So mm. uh, I'd rather ride my own and enjoy my own ride and I don't know something about being an empowered woman. Maybe I want to yeah. want to do it myself. I love that.
0: Well, that's awesome. And you know, I'm going to give you one of these <laughs> yeah. for taking on a new challenge and yeah. finding, finding something that brings you joy. Yeah. That's awesome.
1: It, that's, that's it all. does. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Another. Okay. So not talking about motorcycles now. Another thing mm-hmm. I, I had to ask you about, because I laughed when I saw this. Um, <laughs> you mentioned um, that you you like craft beer, um, but you're over juice bomb IPAs, which seems to be all that anybody is brewing these days. And I, I can't agree with you more. Um
1: that's a juice bomb. So IPA. it's those really
0: strong citrusy IPAs like they sell at Treehouse Brewing. <laughs> Did I hit a nerve?
2: <laughs> no. So over it. I mean, they do really good stuff. And, and honestly, um, my, my partner is an electrician and um, he does work um, locally, but will also sometimes um, go out on the pike sometimes for other jobs. And he was just out that way last week, the week before maybe. Uh, but he sent me a text, Hey, I'm going to be home a little bit late, but um, it'll be worth it. Okay. And I'm like, okay, cool. The last time he did this, he came home with an Xbox, um, <laughs> but he was like, I'm bringing us something home. And I'm like, Ooh, he's bringing us a surprise. What is it? Won't lie. I've gotten plenty of use out of that Xbox too, but it wasn't I, like, I was expecting something totally different. So this time I'm like, is the new Xbox out? Is, <laughs> is this what it is? No, he came home with um, a whole bunch of tree house and um, he still likes those New England style beers, mm-hmm. and I I totally respect what Treehouse is doing. It's it's good, but there are so many other there's so many other breweries that are mm. also good, and they're popping up all over the place. I can't believe we haven't hit a saturation point yet. Um, yeah, it's a little but, crazy. Yeah, it is. I'll tell you, I I can't even remember when I filled out that um, that questionnaire, but. I've actually picked up bourbon drinking as a new hobby. Mm. I do not combine the bourbon drinking hobby with the motorcycling hobby, though. They're strictly oh, that's good. separated. That's yeah. a good. Good to hear. Yep. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Um, so, I'll just I'll just work in here. Okay. I stopped drinking like over a year ago, but I love bourbon and mm-hmm. whiskey. And mm-hmm. as a new bourbon drinker, um, what do you like about bourbon?
2: What do I like? Uh, You know, I I guess I started, I started drinking bourbon because I enjoyed um, old fashions. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that every, every drink that I got, that was a bourbon drink, like a mixed bourbon drink, they were all too sweet.
1: Yeah. They put so much of that. Yeah.
2: So sweet. And so when I was talking to um, a bartender about that, He suggested that maybe I should just drink it neat or on the rocks. Like, stop having these drinks. Like,
0: don't,
2: yeah, stop with a simple syrup. Um, And so I started to explore it. And I guess I like the the complex flavors that are there. Mm -hmm. I like that it has a little bit of bite. I like that it's something that you enjoy
1: slowly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of savor it, I guess. I like bourbon.
0: Yeah, I and was trying. And whiskey. Yeah, I mean, the. Um,
1: <laughs> even though we're not drinking. I know. Anymore. I know. <laughs> you can still like it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. Just like I, I still can respect
2: Treehouse, even though I don't always want to drink it, right? You yeah. Can, I, I, They're doing some good stuff. It's, you know, tastes nice. It's just not my favorite, and I'm not drinking it. So you can think that bourbon tastes nice and not drink it.
0: Yeah. I it's mean, but, back to those. Juice bomb IPAs. Like my problem with them, right. Was like, it became for me, like some of them were like ridiculously strong. Like not, oh, you like would yeah. have a beer and you couldn't walk across the room. Like, cause it's like 10%, you know, you have a can of beer and it's like 10% alcohol. Uh, well,
1: definitely that Treehouse house stuff. Was yeah. Really, it's like really super, strong.
0: super, super strong. Um, and like back, like toward, I think more towards the, End of my last um, uh, period of where I was drinking, like I was seeking out beers that like had a lower percentage of alcohol, mm-hmm. just so I could like enjoy them more and not be mm-hmm. like wasted <laughs> after having one of them. Yeah, no, annoyed. I get it. it. Yeah,
2: like when we could go out and drink, um, definitely. The ABV was something that I would watch and and make sure that I was drinking them in the right order. If I was yeah. going to drink a stronger one, then that would happen first, so that right. I could feel how it's settling in, and then seek out the the lower ABVs. But I, I don't. I'm not drinking a ton of beer now, but when I am, it's it's probably um, more stouts or yeah, um, if it's an IPA, then I want something that's more West Coast. I want that piney dank flavor. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to drink my dank. Yeah,
0: there was a beer I was yeah, drinking. I, the, oh, what was the it pot called?
1: Beer, whatever that. It was,
0: was brewed with um, cannabis terpenes. Yeah. Right, oh, so it
1: was very dank. Oh, what the hell was that called? I don't remember because it's oh. been a very long time. But
2: you had a guest on a, a show not too long. I don't know. I don't. I didn't listen to all the episodes in order, but I did listen to an episode where you had a guest on that was talking about. Um, a cannabis infused beverage where the effects yeah. were supposed to come on pretty quickly mm-hmm. yep. um, and then fade away somewhat.
0: Yeah, oh, that, was, um, that was that was, the, was Theory Wellness, right. um, was the cannabis dispensary. dispensary in Chicopee, Massachusetts. Now, I checked their website recently to see if they had that product. They didn't, but a dispensary in Northampton called Insa, I N S A, yeah. they have it.
2: Hmm. And and that's not a beer though.
0: Right? No, it's a it's, it's a seltzer. Yep, a that seltzer has okay. five milligrams of THC in it. Oh,
2: yeah. And so how like how big is the can?
0: It's like those spiked seltzers, <laughs> like those so um, one of
2: those one of those thin cans. Yep. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want. I don't. I feel like I can't drink those. They
0: look douchey to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, there there is an element. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, I'd
1: agree with that. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm like, look at my bourbon collection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But
0: right. do you have a favorite bourbon?
2: Um right now, my favorite bourbon right now is called Amador. Hmm. Um I like the ones that sort of have that spicy flavor, but also kind of a vanilla caramelly mm. flavor. So I like Amador. Um I'm really liking um, there's a bourbon called Legend that I really like right now. Mm. Um I've been drinking few and they also do um they do whiskeys and bourbons and rye and they have this one rye that's called, I think it's called immortal rye. And it has oolong tea in it. Ooh. Oh, That's
1: pretty good. Yeah, oh. I love tea. I know you do. I've
0: become quite the tea drinker. Yes, because we're
1: not drinking in
0: the last year. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Don't drink the few.
0: No, I won't. Um, no,
1: but you know, have a have a cup of oolong Yeah, yeah.
0: I drink so much tea, something You drinking. like
1: that lap song? Yeah. What is that? Um, How do you say that? I can't
0: say it. Lap song Sachang or something like that. It's like a really smoky black tea that they- It's probably um, like the bourbon of tea. Yeah, they roast (laughs) over pine needles, actually. And it has this like incredibly strong- Like like, peaty. Peaty profile to it. It's awesome. So um,
2: I think I've only had one scotch recently, and I don't know what it was about it, but I I didn't like it. I feel like I licked a Band-Aid or something. It was the, the worst Flavor is very smoky. What does peaty taste like?
0: Mm. Yeah, it um, so a
2: band aid, or is that (laughs) something else altogether?
0: (laughs) Um, the really smoky scotches tend to be from the island region of Scotland, they're called Islay scotches, it's like Talisker, um, Lafraig. Oh, yeah, the right? And it's more more because they smoke, they literally smoke the peat. That they okay. use to brew it. Like, I don't think, and I might be totally full of shit here, but I don't think the peat in and of itself is smoky. Right? Because that's just like, like the a barrels. moss.
1: Isn't it like the barrels that they store it in? Well. We need Lindsay on here
0: for well, this conversation. Well, yeah. <laughs> Our friend Lindsay um, from Oak and Ash Farm, who's been on here a couple times. Um, No, but I think scotch has to be aged in bourbon barrels. Oh, Charged bur- charred bourbon barrels. I think that's like one of the things.
1: I thought scotch had to be brewed in Scotland.
0: Yeah. They import the barrels. Right. There's yep. something about the barrels. The barrels are very important. That's all we know. <laughs> the
1: yes. barrels are very <laughs> important. The barrels <laughs> yeah. are important. We'll, but we'll, maybe we'll have a...
0: Oh, maybe it's the other way around, though. I maybe we need Lindsay. Well,
1: <laughs> bourbon, bourbon is
2: in charred oak barrels. Yep. But I didn't know that...
1: I didn't know that they charred bourbon barrels for anything. I don't
0: know. I might be I, I might I'm be wrong about this. this we we don't know body. anything.
1: I think Sawtooth is just talking out of his. I
0: right mostly now. just make stuff up. I think he's just um, as I go it along.
1: You know, it's yep. cool that you admit that. <laughs>
0: um. Okay. All right. All right. So now, Monica, you have you have confessed to us that you have listened to this show before, which we appreciate. So it's not gonna. it's not gonna That's come.
2: Great. That
0: was three. Oh, oh two, yeah. That was three. three. Three chimes.
1: Is there a record? Is there a record? Hmm. I don't know.
0: There there were points in time where we were doling them out liberally. Well, I
1: think that's because you were trigger happy with the board.
0: <laughs> yeah. I've become much more reserved with the board. That's true. As, okay. as he as was I've, chastised yeah.
1: for using the board too much.
0: Yeah, but what what I'll say is you you have received an above average amount of chimes. I can Sweet. I can attest to that. So um that Are is gonna, something. To carry to carry away from here with pride, nice. yes, stomping Joe. I
1: was going to say you're going to ask her your favorite question. I
0: am going to ask the question, and I I provided the question ahead of time. Oh yeah, this I was, time
2: I was kind of sad that you did that. You shouldn't do that.
0: I'm sorry. Oh, that's. Oh, a real... I'm
2: sorry. I don't. I'm not trying to tell you how to do no, your job.
0: I'm no. I'm interested in this feedback. Actually, should the yeah. so the question should not be provided ahead of time.
2: I feel like it shouldn't.
0: Hmm. Um. I have to Mostly say,
2: because I I feel like um, as I'm listening, I can tell who actually listens and who doesn't. It's
1: true. And they're yeah. surprised by it. That's yeah. true. I yeah. feel like an asshole for saying that out loud. No, <laughs> no, it's totally cool.
0: Although I have to say, like part of me secretly enjoys when
1: they squirm, when
0: people squirm. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna take I'm gonna take this this um I'm gonna take this under advisement. Okay. Stomping, Jen.
1: That was me making the noise <laughs> yeah. for myself. Um, <laughs> he's moved off the uh, main.
0: <laughs> All right, I'm going to ask the question now. Oh, are we my... ready, stomping Jack? Goodness, yeah, Monica. Please. Are we ready for the question? We're okay.
2: Ready. And and Wednesday is here. My Zoom cat just oh, into at, the room. Oh, look at their tail for
0: now. But... Oh, a black cat. I love that. Okay,
2: okay. Cool. I'm ready.
0: All right. Um, what have you experienced? That you cannot explain.
2: So yes, I have been thinking about this question, and um, the first time I heard you ask somebody, I, I knew what I would answer to that. Oh. But I got a little bit nervous because it's it's like is that something I really want to tell all of your listeners? I don't know how many all is, but um, like. If hundreds. I say this out hundreds. Loud, hundreds least. of people are going to know that yes. I believe in ghosts. <laughs> um, when I was younger, when I was a girl, um, my my grandparents lived in a two-family house in Aguam. My um, aunt and uncle and their two daughters lived on the second floor. My grandparents lived on the first floor, and my grandfather died when I was young. I was probably four or five-ish, I think. I can't remember. I was young. Um, But I spent a lot of time at my aunt and uncle's house with my two cousins who were very close to my age. And one night after my grandfather had died, um, sometime after he had died, we were sleeping in my cousin's bedroom. And um, I woke up in the middle of the night and my grandfather was there watching us. Like, he was just there, like, over there looking at his granddaughters, he was just checking in on us. And um, I can't explain it except go surreal. Um, <laughs> and people are like, well, are you sure you weren't sleeping? I, I don't think that I was sleeping. I really do not think that I was sleeping. I honestly think that I was awake and that my grandfather had popped in to check on us. I didn't try to talk to him. It was a little bit weird to me. Like I knew he wasn't supposed to be there, but I also knew he was there. Um, and I guess, like, backing that up, um, I, I feel like he probably visited the house on other occasions, too. Like, I'm just going to go all out and keep talking about this. Mm. I I had stayed... Um, after that situation happened, I had stayed with my grandmother one night and um I was still young-ish and I remember um sleeping in her bed that night and I woke up in the middle of the night and she was talking to my grandfather. She was like, No, I can't go with you. It's not my time yet. Oh my what? god. Yes. Yeah. Oh my so god. I can't explain
1: it except that I think ghosts are real. I agree. I know, you Thank totally you. believe in ghosts.
0: So you thank-
1: don't, Jen, do you? <laughs> no. <laughs> and that's okay. It's okay. So it's okay. Lo- I'm pretty sure you're laughing at me right now, but no, that's okay. No, no, I don't laugh. Too. I don't laugh no. at anybody. Nice. Thank
0: thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna follow that story with a with an update, a report. Oh yeah. Now it's no secret to people who listen to this show that I suffer from night terrors. Um over the last year, I've begun seeing shadow people. Are you familiar with this phenomenon?
2: No. Tell
0: me. So don't Google tell this. Not all of us. Do not Google this. You will go down a rabbit hole. Um,
2: it, you know that I'm like clicking over here on the. I Google. know. I can no, see. I'll give, you, I'll give you my full attention. I'm like this monitor over here.
0: So there's a subset of people of which I belong who suffer from um, night terrors and sleep paralysis who see these shadowy figures that. Oh, Enter the room, or stand by the bed and lunge at them, and I've experienced all of those things. Um, but last evening, my shadow people took a turn. They became <laughs> they became brightly colored, horrifying faced neon shadow people. The
1: neon shadow people,
0: and they were parading by my bedroom door, one at a time.
2: Did they come in and lick
1: your feet? Well, that's the cat. No, that's the cat.
0: But no, the I swear to God, there was a procession of these neon-colored shadow people marching by my bedroom door, looking in, making horrifying faces at me, and then moving on. And there was a line of them stomping Jen. No more horror movies late at night. We did watch a horror movie last <laughs> night. but <laughs> um, Anyways, um, I, I must tell people about this the
1: neon shadow people
0: yep. i'm sure there'll be you, further updates please go have ahead. you
1: googled this
2: like is this a phenomenon that sometimes people do see neon shadow people
0: i appear to be the first one in the history of humankind
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, glad I'm glad that we've captured it here and that we're sharing is,
0: i've not found oh a single god. report oh my god he did wake up screaming the other night yes i did thank you For waking me up. Not at all. (laughs) I have
1: to wake him up. And then he's like, what did you say? What did I say? I'm like, I don't know. I was sleeping.
0: It's important. You've got to tell me. I need to to remember these things. It will unlock the key.
1: Even our kitten in the morning was like, Dad... (laughs) I can hear you screaming in the middle of the night. Yeah. <laughs> Pipe down. Basically. I'm yeah. like, shut up. I'm trying to sleep.
0: Yeah.
1: But I know he's like, actually in like horror.
0: In existential oh, crisis. Thank you. Yes.
1: So, night
2: terrors are yeah. those like really horrible, bad, bad dreams?
0: Yeah, they, well, okay. So, they can take multiple forms. Um, they can be like just a terrible dream. Can you wake
2: yourself up from that?
0: Well, sometimes, right? Um, But when I can't, it's usually because of sleep paralysis, right? And when that happens, like, I'm aware I'm having a nightmare. I'm aware I need to wake up, but I can't do it. Like, I'm literally paralyzed. And the things happening in the dream, like, are indistinguishable from real life in a way. It's this weird cognitive dissonance.
2: No, that's terrifying to me because when I'm when I'm dreaming and it's a bad dream, I will often recognize that it's a bad dream and I'll I know that I can wake myself up if I like um I'll try to just jerk my body mm-hmm. or yell and so I'll often wake up making very strange noises because I'm trying to yell in my dream um and I'm just thinking how
0: do you ever get stuck there though, and you can't no, do it? No, no, yeah. it
2: would be terrifying. Every time I try to wake myself up, sometimes it takes a couple of tries, yeah, and I really have to shake myself hard. But usually, no, it's I've never been stuck.
0: And I've and um I've had instances, and this usually is when I'm napping, right, of sleep paralysis, where I'm pretty sure my eyes are open because I can see the room, right, and I can see. Uh, and there's usually an entity involved in this, so it's like a like a ghost or a demon, and it's like in the room where I can hear it walking down the hall, but and like my eyes are open and I can feel my body like like shaking, like that feeling you describe where you're trying to will yourself to wake up but you yeah. can't and you're just stuck. It's so horrible.
1: I'm Have so you sorry. witnessed this, Jen? Have you come um, across him napping with his eyes open? No, never. But he also puts a pillow over. His. So okay. I, don't
2: know. I feel yeah. like if you if you were to come across him sleeping like napping with his eyes open, you yeah. should probably just shut him. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Or um
2: yeah, I, or tap him. Wake yeah. him up. Yeah, wake him up. Yeah. Wake
0: me up, please. Yeah. All right.
2: Before you
1: go. Before you go, go. That's right. <laughs>
0: oh, All right. Goodness. Well we've covered a lot. Um we have. Monica Borgatti. Thank you. Um I really appreciate you coming on to talk with us. Um, I think people are, gonna, people are going people are going to get a lot out of this conversation. It
2: was lots of fun. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah. Um, Stomping, Jen. Yes. What do we do? How do we wrap this up?
1: Ugh. All right, listeners.
0: Right, you need to say some things to our listeners. Right, please. we
1: love you. Share with a friend. Subscribe. Download.
0: You said those out of order, but that's okay. Okay.
1: How would you like download, subscribe, share with a friend?
0: No, you know what? I think you got it right the first time.
1: (laughs) Wear a mask. Have your mind. Keep wearing a mask.
0: Keep wearing a mask. It's not over.
1: Get vaccinated.
0: This pandemic is not over. Wear a mask. It's not over. Right. Help somebody get vaccinated if you can.
1: Yep. Be safe.
0: Help make appointments, right?
1: That's right. That's right. Pay it forward.
0: Yep. And to our listeners, I will say, now, oh, you're going to take over. Yep. Okay, I will good. also say how much um, I appreciate you, how much we love you, right? Thank you for listening. Yes, thank you. Um, please, if you're not already, subscribe, download, mm-hmm. share with a friend. That's right. Um, and we, why don't we're going to, you know, we rarely <laughs> allow such an honor. But we're going to allow it. We are going to allow it this evening. And yes. this will not be common practice. We're going to allow Monica Borgatti to give the final buy now. But this has to happen in an orderly way, Stomping Okay. okay? All right. All right. I will go first. Yeah. I will give the first buy now. Okay. You will give the second buy now. Okay. And then Monica will give us the final buy now of this episode. Okay. Okay. Cool. All right. Okay. Are we ready?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. We've mm-hmm. checked in with each other. We're all ready.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. God, suspense. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> listeners, I will say to you, bye now.
1: Bye now. Bye now.